wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, whatever deep desires and fears you may have, know that God knows who you are and what you need. And he brought us into your life to pray with you and for you. So no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, just remember you're never alone. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Amen. So if God showed up in your home or your office or when you were out for a walk in the park and asked you to do something, would you do it? There's a lot of confusion about God these days. I mean, God still knows who he is, but the world seems to be really struggling. According to the most recent surveys, between 50 and 75% of the people in the world believe in God, which means between 30 and 50% don't. And if you narrow that down to which God they believe in, it gets pretty murky. Christians believe in the God of the Bible. Hindus believe in between 33 and 330 million gods. Greek mythology has between 12 and 41. Then there are those who believe in a God, but they don't want to get any more specific than that. They want to leave it pretty vague. Um, and still others who want to say that there's just some kind of intelligent being out there. And then don't forget about 750 million people in the world who say they don't believe in any kind of God. Some observations. There are an awful lot of people in the world who are very, very angry at the God who they don't believe in. Others who treat him like a genie in a bottle, expecting him to just grant every wish that they have. <laughs> and God gets blamed for a lot of things, even by people who don't believe in him. The homeless person at Long's the other day blamed God for getting caught stealing. You know, So did the man who shot up his office and the preacher who got st uh, caught stealing millions and the wife who left her husband and children for a doomsday cult. Yeah, it was a voice, a feeling, and emotion, but they were sure that it was God telling them to do whatever they did and thus absolving them of any responsibility. I'll be honest. If you came to me and said that God asked you to do something, I'm not sure how we would figure out if it was really God. Um, the Bible says we need to test the spirits, but it's not real clear about how we go about that. There is the whole Gideon thing, you know, wet fleece, dry fleece. Uh, Paul, who was struck blind and then a voice from heaven told him what to do. Uh, don't forget Moses and the burning bush. Um, Balaam's donkey. The disciples casting lots, which is a lot like throwing dice. See, all of those were used in the Bible to determine God's will. Which one, by the way, would, would you be most comfortable with? Quick rabbit hole. If God were to speak directly to you, how would you want him to do it? A phone call, text message, letter, dream, vision, some sort of social media post? How about a visit from angels? Oh, would you want God to beam you up to heaven and, and meet with him there, or would you want God to come down and meet with you personally here? Oh, and by the way, what kind of ID would you ask to make sure that it was really God? When you read the Bible, there are some things that help us figure out whether it's God asking us to do something or not. See, almost every time God asks someone to do something, it requires a pretty substantial personal sacrifice. It's always in complete alignment with, with God's previous work and all of his promises. And, you know, the last one is something that a lot of people don't want to hear. Um, rarely does it benefit the person who's asking. In other words, uh, God's probably not going to ask you to, to buy your own private corporate jet or Lamborghini or... Um, ocean estate. God doesn't work like that. If we want to get biblical, 
Well, God might ask you to quit your well-paying, very respectable job and, and become a pastor like he did Saul of Tarsus, who became St. Paul. Or maybe depart from your ancestral home and move to a new land which you don't know where it's going to be until you get there, like he did Abraham. Leave all your soldiers at home and attack your army with a marching band, like he did Joshua. Shepherd an entire nation out of slavery with nothing more than the clothes on their back. That's what Moses did. Or hang out in a fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or with a bunch of hungry lions like Daniel. Does that sound fun? If we want to be more Christmassy, well, if you're Mary, how about carrying God's son in your womb for nine months while people whisper behind your back? And then when the baby gets born, you get to be his mom until he dies on a cross. Or if you're Joseph, deal with the whisperings about Mary's delicate condition. Marry her anyway, and, and then literally be the absolute best stepfather that, that you can be. Oh, and don't forget Zechariah and Elizabeth, changing diapers and uh, cleaning up poo. Yeah, raising a baby while on Social Security. You know, we show up year after year to hear the same story of a young woman, an adoptive father, and a baby asleep in the hay, which the hymn reminds us, no crime he makes and if that is all we're doing, showing up to hear that same story over and over again, there probably is a better use of our time. See, I love the story, and let's face it, it has absolute everything that the best kind of stories need. But Christmas offers a lot more than a good story, some hot chocolate, and candy canes. You see, if, if we're willing to listen to God's voice, but I know that makes it a little scary. So let's lower the expectations a little. Instead of being asked to be Mary or Joseph or even Zechariah and Elizabeth, what would it take for you to drop everything you were doing, even if you were at work? Head off to a stable to spend some time with a newborn baby, even though it smells like uh, sheep and poo there. How much inspiration would you need to buy some expensive gifts? Uh, grab your passport and a couple of your friends. Make a long journey across the desert in order to personally deliver those gifts, even though you're only going to stay a short time. Yeah, I mean... It, you could just FedEx them, but, but why would you go ahead and deliver them personally? What, what, what would it take? All through Advent, we sang the O Antiphons. You know it is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. You'll hear it sung just before we light our candles tonight. Song goes back at least 1,200 years. And if we're looking for a reason beyond hot chocolate candy canes and a good story for Christmas, well, we're going to find it in those lyrics. Let me, let me read to you verses 5, 6, and 7. O come, O key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe for us the heavenward road and bar the way to death's abode. O come, O bright and morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of the night and turn our darkness into light. O come, O king of nations bind and won the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease and be yourself our king of peace. And then, of course, each verse ends with rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. We lose something important, though, in the translation of those words, shall come to you, O Israel. Most people think of Israel as a country, a, a, a people group, a vacation destination, a very troubled hotspot in the world. But you know what? If you go to Genesis 32, God very clearly tells Jacob, well, your name will no longer be Jacob. It will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. You see, Israel's not just a name. It's a description. It's a promise. It's actually a gift from God. 
Now, if we were brave enough to break the musical meter and insert the full translation of the Hebrew in there, we would sing somewhat awkwardly, uh, Emmanuel shall come to you uh, who shall no longer be called whatever the world calls you, for you have struggled with God and with the world and prevailed. And then the Holy Spirit would help us embrace the promise that God both made and kept. We aren't just here to listen to a nice story and drink some hot chocolate and eat a candy cane or two. We're here to be reminded who we are. God made two promises to us, to send His Son as our Savior and to take us home to heaven forever. The first promise He fulfilled a long time ago in Bethlehem. That's the, that's the celebration that we're here for. We're, we're here to celebrate that very first coming. The second promise is the one we're waiting for. And even though very few of us are in a hurry for God to fulfill it, we need to know that when this life is over, that, that He'll be there to take us home. Because that allows us to live this life without fear. You see, this night, this story is so necessary because we are a forgetful people. The longer you live, the more you understand that you need saving. The longer you live, the more you understand the people you love, the people that that are your family and friends need saving. The longer you live, the more you understand your community and your nation and your world needs saving. And in this beautiful story that we tell year after year, the voice of God not only speaks to them, but to us of a Savior. Shepherds, dirty, stinky ones. I can't think of anyone who needed to know more than them that God loved them, that he saw them, that he respected the work that they did. They were outsiders, socially awkward. They didn't fit in and rarely, if ever, got an invitation to any of the special parties at church. But God let them know he saw them, just like he saw King David before he was King David, back when he was a shepherd, and he loves them, and he sends them a Savior. And wise men, I have no idea when they arrived with all those gifts, whether they were able to actually talk to Mary and Joseph or not. I mean, there could have been a language barrier, and the gifts were kind of awkward, except for the gold, of course, because everybody likes gold. But, you know, just if somebody walks in and just plops these gifts before your child and then bends down in worship. But their arrival was a rich fulfillment of Isaiah 60. It was also God's way of saying that Jesus wasn't just getting born to save a a very small group, but rather that he was there to save the world to anyone and everyone who would listen for God's voice. A young girl in a time and a culture that didn't always treasure or respect women whose future was totally planned and decided by family treaties, she was chosen to be God's mom. I mean, it was also scandalous and improper, at least according to society's rules. And yet there was no other way that it really could take place because 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah told King Ahaz, you know, the Lord himself is going to give you a sign. The virgin is going to be with child. And now she was. The carpenter, finally old enough to both get married as well as be a full member of of the church. Well, he's busy fulfilling all the requirements to show that he was taking his new role as a family provider seriously when Mary broke the news that she was pregnant. And there's no doubts that he had doubts. Um, Joseph, being a righteous man, didn't want to disgrace Mary, so he was going to divorce her quietly, the scriptures say. But then an angel changed his mind. Unto you this day is born a Savior. The angel said, not just to Mary and Joseph, not just to the shepherds and the wise men, but also to you and me. 
Now, in a few months, we're going to gather again in this evening time, only that time our Savior is not going to be swapped, wrapped in swaddling cloths, but instead in a linen burial cloth. Three days, a very different kind of advent, and then a rebirth, or, or more properly, a, a resurrection. And, and you probably want to know why I'm bringing up Good Friday and Easter. Well, at the end of the visit from the angel, the Bible says Mary kept all these things and treasured them in her heart. And like Mary, we treasure the story of the angel singing, the shepherds arriving, the wise men journeying. But there is a lot more to the story than that. A lot more to the story than just Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. If Jesus is to be our Savior, there has to be a lot more. It, it, it can't, the story just can't end at the manger because there's a cross and an empty tomb too. I don't know where you are in the story, but I know you're in there. And God is speaking to you tonight. What he's asking you to do, I don't know, but I know that he's asking you to do something because you aren't here by accident. Not in this world, not in your family, not watching this video. Your gifts, your talents, your passion, your time. You have a very special place in God's story. It's so easy to yell and be angry to God you don't believe in or stand shaking your fist at the sky until your lungs hurt. It's easier to hide under a bed or in a closet or just cover your eyes with your hands and play the game you can't see me because obviously I can't see you. I don't know what your hurts and pains and needs and wants are tonight, but I know you have them. I don't know what your dreams or anxieties or fears or doubts are, but I know you have them. What God did for you on this night a long time ago in Bethlehem was to come into your world, was to come into your life, into all those mixed emotions and feelings. And he said, here I am. God wants to end any confusion there might be. And so he showed up into the world and into your life. It doesn't get any more personal than that. God the infinite, wrapped in flesh and blood and swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And whereas it's easy to shake your fist at a God in the sky or be angry at a God you don't believe in, it's not so easy to be angry or shake your fist at a tiny little baby. Even for the most clumsy like myself, there is something about babies that makes you just want to pick them up and hold them. And God knows that. And so he comes to you in a way that allows you to take a deep breath and let all that stress and anxiety go for a moment and just hold him while he holds you. I know we often talk about the mystery of Christmas, and there's a lot of mystery in Christmas, but there's also the reality of a God who loved you so much that he wanted to make sure that, that you knew just how special and loved you were. And so the word became flesh and dwells among us and dwells among you. What tonight is all about is you embracing that not only are you a unique and unreproducible miracle of God, and God sent his son a long time ago in order to be your savior, but one day his son will come and take you home to heaven forever and ever. We don't need to be in a hurry to get there, but it's a wonderful gift to know that it's there and he's waiting for us because it makes this life a lot easier to live. Until then, God has gifted you with an amazing ability to change the world. Now, you know the words that he speaks to you, what he's asked you to be and do. Like Mary, treasure them in your heart. Some of the hardest words in the Bible were the ones Mary told the angel. May it be to me as you have said. And yet there are no more exciting or joyful world words either. 
Imagine what God can do in and through you. I mean, the possibilities really are literally endless. So Merry Christmas. God hopes you enjoy his gift. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.